0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 856 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. I am the editor-in-chief over at Peachtree Hoops and also a basketball contributor at Diamond Uprock. So thank you for joining us on the podcast if you have not joined us before. And I say that because I actually uh, joined Chad Ford on his NBA Big Board podcast on the same Locked On Podcast Network. That was an honor to do that with Chad, former ESPN analyst for a long, long time, etc. If you missed that, that is available. We'll not run on my feed because I don't want to take away from Chad's feed but uh, that is up and available for you i retweeted it on my twitter page at bt if you if you do not care to find it elsewhere but that was a lot of fun and i will hopefully be talking to chat again in the near future Also, though, today's podcast is going to center on a discussion that I had with Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report. John was gracious enough to give me about a half hour that you'll hear momentarily on the podcast about the NBA draft. He's one of the best at analyzing, also on the Intel side. So that's a fun conversation, so stay tuned for that momentarily. Before we get to John, though, there is some news to hit on real quickly at the top of the podcast. Um, There was a report from Mark Stein of the New York Times, who, by the way, also reported the initial interest in this person, but he reports that Nate McMillan, is, quote, nearing a deal, end quote, with the Hawks to join Lloyd Pierce's staff as an assistant coach. That was also later confirmed by Sarah Spencer of the AJC. And I talked about this a little bit last week on the podcast, but if you missed it, my general feelings are positive about this. Nate McMillan is well-regarded around the league, and he's been a solid head coach in three different stops, most recently with, with the Pacers, where he led a winning team in four straight years. He was fired back in August. Um, reputation wise, he is a uh, very, very positive for motivating players, helping to build defenses as well. A no nonsense kind of guy reputation wise. And also someone, it does not really hurt to have anyone of McMillan's level of experience and gravitas on the bench. That's not a bad thing at all for the Hawks. I don't think he's I I don't think he's a great offensive coach, but honestly in Atlanta, that isn't necessarily what they need on the staff. And I think they, um, Honestly, I'd be pretty surprised if he was crafting the offense much in the coming days, so I really see that as a downside thing, and if anything, he's overqualified to be an assistant. Um, it's one of those situations where a guy could just chill out, probably, and uh, not coach for a year, maybe try to get head coach a head coaching job next year, because the only job that's still available is Oklahoma City, and I think they're trying to be in a rebuilding direction. It doesn't make a ton of sense there, but it does seem like he wanted to coach. Um, he was in the mix for Houston as well, but it looks like he's going to be headed to Atlanta as a result of that. When the report first broke last week, a few people asked me if this is sort of bad news for Lloyd Pierce. I would say no, probably. Uh, I won't rule it out entirely, but I guess in theory the Hawks could turn to McMillan if it went south for Pierce next year. I mean, he's not really a high upside head coach prospect in the way that you might want long-term, and I don't think Pierce is really in danger as it is right now anyway. I think this is just a positive addition for the Hawks. Having a smart, authoritative voice is not a bad thing whatsoever. It's not official right now, by the way, but all reports are that he'll be joining the staff momentarily, or at least somewhere in the near future, so there you have it on that. The other thing that was newsworthy from Wednesday was there was a lot of reporting on the start of next season. Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe of ESPN reported that the NBA has a Thursday meeting the Board of Governors that will share the latest with teams on the progress towards reaching a deal for pre-Christmas start for next season. Also, um, part of that report was that the uh, player Association and team reps were meeting as soon as Thursday night to um, basically, all indications are it's going to be to approve the December 22nd proposal from the NBA. Not official at this point in time, but Woj reported later on the player Association was calling teams on Wednesday. To discuss the details about the December plan, that includes a December 1st start for training camp with three preseason games and an escrow for player salaries in the 18% range. Finally, from there, ESPN reported um, on Wednesday afternoon that discussions are, quote, expected to culminate with an agreement, end quote, on the December 22nd date with with a 72-game schedule. And Mark Stein also reported that the NBPA is, quote, poised to ratify the NBA's plan, end quote. That will, again, involve opening camp in early December, starting December 22nd, and then projected free agency to start 48 to 72 hours after the draft, which is on November 18th. So definitely a whirlwind coming, by all indications, in NBA circles. And we're getting closer on that front. All signs point to December 22nd for the NBA to start their season, followed by Christmas and then a uh, a mad sprint to the end. And if that happens, we'll talk about it much more. But uh, I expect that to happen, honestly, later on this week. It'll be official, most likely, by all indications. So we were report on that at that point in time, but that is the latest on that front okay before i turn it over to myself and jonathan washerman talking about the nba draft a word from our sponsors on today's podcast i am joined now by jonathan washerman of bleacher report and uh thank you for doing this john how are you on this fine wednesday afternoon
1: i'm doing all right brad uh how you doing
0: we're all hanging in there uh yeah time to talk about the nba draft we're two weeks away as we discuss things now and uh Honestly, I want to leave with something because it's kind of funny. I've, I've talked about a couple of your mock drafts, especially ones that have fake trades with the Hawks. And we, <laughs> we've talked about this offline a little bit. Um, but I have to ask you, how hard is it to do fake trades? Because I know it's very hard for me. And uh, personally, I hate doing them. And people ask me to do them all the time. So I want to know how you feel about, mock, about, about sort of mock draft fake trades.
1: I'm almost embarrassed at how long it, I actually, how much time I take to like try and get something that I think might be you know okay for both sides or, or at least like that looks reasonable and and then after you know hours of like thinking about this stupid trade that will never happen in your life <laughs> um i you know I, I i sign on to twitter and just get destroyed but um bleacher report came at me with this idea of throwing in a couple of fake trades every uh mock draft to to switch things up a bit you know how, how many different uh how many different ways can we talk about the same players, the same mock drafts with this draft six months past the, the actual due date in June? So um, I think we're done with the fake trades. They're fun to think about. It's almost impossible to get one where both sides are like, OK, I could live with that.
0: Yeah, uh, I've been asked to do a couple uh, both in this space and also when I'm writing um NBA draft stuff for dime, and it's not it's not easy. So I always sympathize with with you and everybody else that has to do that. So I figured I had, I had to ask you at the top here. Um, Before we dig into the Hawks stuff, I am obliged to ask what you think is going to happen at the top of the draft, because it does seem like there's a lot of uncertainty with the Wolves and the Warriors in particular. Um, that could sort of trickle down to the rest of the board and the Hawks sitting there at six could be impacted by that. So what are your thoughts right now, you know, two weeks out on what the top might look like when we get there?
1: All right, so I think the top five, and... I guess when I say I think, like my level of confidence in anything in this draft is pretty low. But, um, you know, LaMelo, Wiseman, Edwards, um, Danny of Dia, and Toppin to me are pretty good bets to go top five. But even at number one, I mean, I really, my level of confidence in projecting the number one pick is, is lower than it has been since the Anthony Bennett year. And um, I hear something new every day. I mean, I've heard. Initially, I kind of reported that teams out there believe that Minnesota would take Lamelo Ball if they kept the pick. Everyone expects them to try and trade the pick, and uh, mo- hundreds of teams have been a- approached, you know, from Minnesota about possible trade opportunities. Um, the latest I heard is that they would consider James Wiseman at number one. I don't know if that's a ploy to get somebody to try and move up and get him at number one, like the Charlotte Hornets. But to me, it sounds like Wiseman or LaMelo uh, would be the favorites. However, Anthony Edwards does make a ton of sense based on fit with Minnesota. So, I mean, we're back at square one here. <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, I really I really don't know what they're going to do. I don't think Minnesota knows what it's going to do. I think they're going to try until the last second to get somebody to trade up and take number one off their hands so they don't have the pressure of making that pick. They can get an additional asset and probably get somebody who fits cleaner, then lamello um a wise at number one um so that's where we're at
0: yeah i'm i'm with you it sounds like all the stuff that i have heard as well and there's so much uncertainty with especially with the with the wolves having that pick i think if they were differently situated it might be a little bit more obvious for them but they have really invested in two guys and they're the point guard in the center (laughs) and it's like all right this makes it even more interesting and it's Uh, even tougher the fact
1: that they haven't Played together. I think they played one game together, Towns and Russell.
0: And a new so, fr- and a new front office on top of that.
1: So. And a new front office. They they don't know what they have. It's like, do you do you draft to fit those two guys? Do we even know if those two guys can work well together? Um, and then, of course, Ball and Edwards were both pretty bad defensively for most of the season. I mean, could you have your three cornerstone players be negative defenders? It's like, it's really a tough call for Minnesota, and that's why I think they're really going to try move down, A, so they don't have the pressure of having to get number one right, and B, so they can, you know, get a guy like Denny Evdia, who just fits a little cleaner.
0: Yeah, it's interesting for them and the Warriors, honestly. Um, I was I think you might have mentioned it, honestly, a minute ago, but I was going to ask you, you know, aside from the guys that we always hear, Ball, Edwards, Wiseman, who are the guys you think are least likely to be there when the Hawks pick at six? Because that's a question that I always get, like, okay, these are the top three guys, what the heck happens at four and five, and I don't really have a strong feeling. I have some assumptions, but who do you think is not going to be there when the Hawks get on the board?
1: Yeah, I mean, the two guys I mentioned, um, teams love Danny Adia, and he fits pretty much everywhere. I mean, nobody can look at Danny and say, oh, I don't know about how he works with our particular lineup. I mean, he fits for every team, one through five. Uh, Chicago at four, he fits and he fits perfectly in Cleveland. So I don't see how Denny is there at number six for Atlanta. And Obi Toppin to me is just, I've talked to too many teams who have not top five. And so uh, I guess what really matters is who does the teams in front of Atlanta have top five and, and how do they assess and evaluate Obi Toppin. And um, listen, Chicago needs offense. They were number 28 in the NBA, I think, in offense. And Cleveland just needs a good player because they have nothing to really bank on after a shaky season from Garland they don't know if Drummond is a long-term piece they don't know if Kevin Love is a long-term piece anymore and so i think Colby Altman's going to have some pressure to get get this pick right and to get maybe quick results to show the fans hey i made a good pick and Obi Toppin is probably has a case as maybe the most nba ready prospect in this draft at 22 years old so in my mind i mean since since lottery night i think i've had the same guys top five in a different order but Denny and Obi to me um are the are the uh the four or five favorites assuming that one two three and then order is James Edwards LaMelo
0: yeah I think Toppin's really interesting he's, he's, he's a guy that I haven't talked about as much probably with the Hawks because of just, just the fit stuff and all of that but I am with you I think teams seem to like him more than public people do which is I guess understandable in a lot of ways I'm not sure if he's going to be the guy they go with at four or five, but both those teams could trade too. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody's married to anything in the top five. I'm sure people are listening to this are tired of hearing people like us say how much, how much uncertainty there is, but there really is so much that it's like kind of impossible. Even if you have Intel and I trust your Intel, uh, even, even the people with Intel don't know what's going to happen here.
1: Yeah. And I can tell you, honestly, um, there's, I know at least one guy in Atlanta's front office who really likes Obi Toppin, like a lot more than, more than most prospects. And I don't know how much, influence he has and that's kind of also when it comes to sources and who likes who and you got to remember that every team has you know eight guys in the front office with say and so you can't realistically know what all eight guys think and and of course it really comes down to the general manager or the vice president of basketball operations but there's definitely a voice inside atlanta that really likes obi top and i just don't think he's going to be there at six
0: yeah and i try to filter that stuff out as much as possible too and try to remind people of that. but it's a great point that you know I might hear from someone that I trust inside the organization that they, that they personally like a guy, but especially in Atlanta, I think Travis Slank is going to do what Travis Slank wants to do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's always important to uh, filter down, you know, Intel could be accurate and also not matter in the end. So this is, it makes, it makes life very difficult for people like you, John. So I don't, I don't envy you on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, that, right, and then the, the ownership too. I mean, I heard oh, yeah. today, um, you know, ownership for golden state, wouldn't allow the team to pass on LaMelo Ball if he's there. I mean, uh, th- there's just so many factors that go into the team's final decision. And, yeah, you can know three guys within an organization and then none of their opinions really matter much, maybe.
0: Right, and there have been rumblings in the past too. Nothing uh, super double confirmed about Atlanta, but Tony Wrestler's not a guy who's aloof in the process. I think he might be in the mix as well um, for the Hawks. So it's always interesting to see what they might do here Uh, before I get into some hawk specific stuff with you. I'll take a break for a second here from our sponsors. So hold on tight. We'll be right back with John the Wasserman. All right, John, uh, I want to get your analysis on where the Hawks should go in your mind, but I will start here. You mentioned Toppin. Is there anybody else that you're hearing like Intel wise on the Hawks? I know you wrote something about Killian Hayes being an option, but for them potentially, what's the Intel side uh, saying on on your end before we get into uh, kind of what you think?
1: The two other guys I've heard tied to Atlanta, um, whether it's through you know, scouts, executives, agents, is Halliburton and Killian Hayes. I know they've shown some level of interest uh, in Killian Hayes. To me, Halliburton makes the most sense based on fit, based on where he's projected to go, uh, his value in this draft at number six overall. And, and so those are the two guys that jump up um okongu, i'm guessing i haven't heard any direct ties um about atlanta liking okongu but i'm guessing that there's conversation going on behind the scenes about whether to take him after trading for capella i love okongu i have him top three in this draft um you know in a vacuum in, on my big board rankings and if you're asking me personally i would take okongu just as the best player available and i guess we don't really know exactly what we're going to get with capella over the next couple of years but uh halliburton is who I have them taking in my latest mock draft. And uh, it's just kind of easy to picture them pulling the trigger on Halliburton with, again, how he fits um, as a secondary playmaker next to Trey. The fact that he can also play off the ball, 99th percentile spotted player, and also team's young. And I think one of the things that separates Halliburton from some of these other prospects is he's very mature for, for his age. You know, he's 20, but... He comes off as a veteran, and I'd, I'd imagine Atlanta values that.
0: Yeah, he's the guy I think if you uh, – at least in my – um, sort of straw-pulling is the guy that I have heard the most, probably. Not necessarily in, internally, but just around you know mock drafts and what people have been saying around the league about the Hawks. It makes a lot of sense. I do want to ask you about Halliburton, the player. You mentioned the stuff that he can do, and certainly the shooting, the passing, um, the, the basketball IQ, the maturity stuff is all there. Do you worry at all about, especially with the you – know, I, I think the overarching thought with him is that, look, he, he can be the guy behind Trey as a back-of-point guard and also play alongside him, and that makes a lot of sense on paper – what do you think about him as you know a second-unit creator? Can he do enough off the dribble? Like, can he actually function as a point guard in the NBA in your mind? Or is that a scenario where he just kind of needs to be the same guy that he's been so far, which is this linking player, does a little bit of everything, and there's a lot to like there, but not someone who's going to go uh, go out and just like beat guys off the dribble and get to the rim?
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, this past year at Iowa State, 28% of his possessions were pick-and-roll, 22% were spot-up. So he really split time, and I think that's kind of how I see him. I mean, I think you could put him on the ball— in pick and roll spots, pick and roll situations. Um, you know, just making reads setting the table for his guys. Um, and then the other half of the time spotting up. I don't I wouldn't want him to be my 35 minute per game point guard where the ball's in his hands, because I just don't think he could put enough pressure on defenses. You know, as we all know, that the big weakness with him is burst and can he blow by guys and can he shoot off the dribble? But I think he's such a good fit in Atlanta because Trey led the NBA in time of possession. And uh, he could use uh, a secondary playmaker to take pressure off. He could use, uh, of course, Atlanta could use a backup point guard. But I think uh, part of the appeal to Halliburton is that you could just use him in so many different ways. And uh, he fits any lineup um, on and off the ball. And again, with the spot up shooting and the on ball passing, um, he doesn't really need to be a a blow by guy um, to hold a ton of value. And maybe, you know, if I'm evaluating him in a vacuum, I'd probably never say he's going to be an all star but I think he's the type of role player whose impact will be greater than the stats. And uh, I think if he gets the right fit, you could really optimize him and and you'll see a lot of value if he's used right.
0: Yeah. I do like him a lot more with a team like Atlanta or Golden State or somebody like that, where he's not going to be asked to be the guy. Like I would be worried big time if he were like the guy in New York or Detroit and they just kind of put the ball in his hands Uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for him as a, prospect. So I hope that doesn't happen to him. I hope he gets to a place where he actually fits better. And Atlanta's a good spot for him. I, I, last thing on, on Halliburton, do you worry about about his defense at all? Not necessarily off the ball because it's always really good, but there are some questions that I've heard. Um, and also on film, you can kind of see he's, he was attacked a little bit on the ball defensively. Like He's not the strongest guy in the world. Is that going to improve as he fills out in your mind or is that going to be a point of concern for him?
1: Yeah. I mean, personally, like the way I evaluate point guards and defense, like you're either really bad or you're really good, and then there's the in between. And I think he's—I don't think he's going to be a liability defending on the ball. I mean, any any really good point guard in the NBA is going to is going to beat most point guards off the dribble. Um, you know, if they have enough space. And Halliburton is—I'll take his IQ, his anticipation, his size and length for the position. And I think he compensates enough for that lack of strength. To be to be an adequate on ball defender. He, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are going to be guys who bully him and and play through him attacking the basket. But I I wouldn't factor it into my final evaluation. We'll say, well, I'm a little bit nervous about him defending the ball. So I think we're going to go in a different direction. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. Yeah, he's going to probably get uh, bullied a little bit by certain guys, but I think he'll compensate in enough ways to, to be a fine defender.
0: Yeah, I think in a vacuum that makes a ton of sense. The only reason why it might be a concern in Atlanta is because of Troy Young and playing next to Troy Young, you you, yeah. may not, you may not want to have two two of those guys in the same backcourt, but yeah. that's probably a rich man's problem, <laughs> on some level. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, agreed.
0: Um, you, you you talked about about a Kongwu. I also like him. I have him as a top five guy. How do you personally think? about sort of philosophically almost whether Atlanta should invest there always consider investing there because of course they do have Clint Capella who's an established good starting center for three more years under contract they have John Collins as well um do you would how much would you I guess include that in your evaluation how much of that would play into your decision or is it just take the best player at six
1: if he was the best player and like it was pretty obvious on your board or, or you said okay I don't think that I just don't think that Halliburton is anywhere near the prospect that Okangu is. I think you take Okangu, and you know Capella's on a pretty tradable contract, I think, right? Uh yep. and, and given the injury history, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think Okangu has got far more upside than Capella, um, and, and upside that I think he can hit pretty fast. Um, and and it's not such a terrible thing to have both of those guys. And Capella may even be more useful as like a, I don't know, maybe a. Maybe not a bench guy, but Okongu could be used as a good bench guy, you know, good energizer, six man. He plays hard. He, a big time athlete. And again, one of the reasons why I love Okongu and certainly more than Capella, if we're talking over the next couple of years is I'm, I'm totally buying Okongu's scoring ability and and skills. I mean, he gets, you know, he's kind of known for his athleticism and and the power dunks and the shot blocking, but 94 percentile of post-up players got terrific footwork for creating high percentage shots He's got great touch with both hands, 72% from the free throw line, 15 to 35 uh, half-court jumpers. I think he's going to be a really good offensive player with the ball in his hands against a set defense, not just being a catch and finisher. And that's something that Capella can't really offer is half-court scoring outside of just finishing. So uh, I'm high on Okongu. I think if they think he's the best player available, they shouldn't let Capella um, make them hesitate about, about taking him.
0: Yeah, I think that's my general thought as well. Um I think what you said at the very beginning especially in that if I viewed a Kong as clearly the best guy, I would take him. If it's close, I would consider not doing it, um both because of the positional spectrum and center not being, you know, although he is a he does pro, he actually does project as someone who could be more valuable than a lot of traditional centers are because of his versatility and all that stuff. But um the Capella investment all that stuff is something I have to at least think about. I will say, if, if the Hawks had the same draft pick at six and had not traded for Capella, you know, two weeks, three weeks before the shutdown, he'd be the guy that I had circled uh, in, in red ink at this point.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for yeah Hawks. No, My early mock drafts before that deal was done, I kind of just said in my head, okay, is going to Atlanta. I mean, it just makes too much sense. And then also to your point about, um, I guess, you know, centers losing value, and I was looking Today, actually, I was writing something on Okongu, and I was looking at the top 10 guys in the league who posted up the most. And eight of them have made all-star games in the past three years. And the other two guys were Zion and DeAndre Ayton, who could both be there going to an all-star game soon as well. So, I mean, I understand, like, post-ups in, in, in the days of analytics, which are, you know, contested two-pointers, are are not um, – teams don't don't love that idea. But if you're really, really good in the post – like Embiid and Anthony Davis, like go to the post. And I think Okongu has the chance to be really, really good in the post.
0: Yeah, I like him a lot too. Um, and I think if they drafted him, I would certainly not criticize it. Even with Capella on the roster, it would be per- totally reasonable to me. Uh, the other guy we talked about a second ago is Killian Hayes. Um, he's another fit question that I've heard from. I'm high on Killian. I like him quite a bit. But with Troy Young there, it's obviously a question mark. I won't. T- I've always said that for me, I have to consider him at six regardless, but there are some people that I've talked to that wouldn't even think about it with Trey on the roster. Where do you sort of fall on that? How high are you on Hayes in a vacuum and how much would you consider the fit with Trey there?
1: I think it's one of the biggest question marks of the draft is how to evaluate Hayes and his fits. So like today I heard uh, a couple of days ago, I've heard Sacramento is very high on killing Hayes and they don't, they're going to put so much stock into analytics and they really don't care about fit. I heard they're also high in Kyra Lewis, like Kyra Lewis and, and Darren Fox and and De'Aaron Fox and, and Hayes, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense on paper. But in a vacuum, I have Hayes as a top three prospect with Okongwu and with Lamelo. Um, I think he's arguably the most complete guard in this draft. But at the same time, I I have trouble picturing it picturing it working with Trey and, and Hayes. And to me, both of those guys, you don't you don't draft Hayes to play off the ball. I mean, the value with Hayes is, is giving him the ball and letting him create shots for teammates. Um, and if you put him off the ball, he's playing away from his strengths. And so I just don't really see how that works. Uh, but at the same time, I can top three prospect for me in a vacuum. And so it's a tough call. Um, again, I wouldn't criticize Atlanta if they did make that play just because I'm all about drafting talent and kind of figuring out how to maximize it later on in the process. But, um, you have to be, you know, super sure that he's the best player available. And like you said before, like uh, I think teams use fit as a tiebreaker if they really can't tell. And so to me, I'd be pretty surprised if they did make the move. It's hard to see it working on paper, but at the same time teams take best player available and and so it's definitely a possibility.
0: Yeah, he's all he's very much obviously different players, but the discussion discussion's very similar in that you have to basically evaluate this guy as the best player available pretty clearly to take him for the Hawks. And the only, thing, the only reason why I seem to like it more than some, some people do is that Hayes is a legitimate, you know, he's shooting guard sized in terms of what he can bring. You can play him with Trey defensively and not get killed there. And mm-hmm. I do think that eventually they want to move Trey off the ball some, not off the ball. By any like large stretch, but he he probably can't carry the kind of workload on the ball that he's been carrying, so that's one thing it's not what I would be doing uh, in terms of my evaluation but if if they love Hayes, I've said before, and I'll say it again now like I would endorse taking him if they thought he was the best guy, but again, he kind of has to be in his own tier almost,
1: yeah, and that's honestly what you just said is kind of what would have to happen, moving trey off the ball, and that I, I don't have the numbers and, and maybe you know him, but uh he's a good really good spot up shooter and I think he's oh, at yeah. least psychology shot pretty well off screens but um i think he's the type who can kind of do what steph curry does a little bit uh you know play the one or two of course defense is, is the big concern playing him um off the ball a little bit but uh but yeah i mean that's that's what you got to do put, put killian hayes a little bit more on the ball and use trey's shot
0: making off the ball for sure um before i let you get out of here i, I have to ask you about about the two wings that I, that I always discuss as well, and that's Isaac Okoro. And Devin Vassell. You can also throw Denny in there as well that we discussed earlier. But um, in the event, you know that that, that they don't like Halliburton and they don't fall in love with either. A Kong or Hayes, they have the natural, you know, you can't have you can't have too many wings kind of guys with a Coro and Vassell, and they're both from around here actually, both high school products that grew up in Atlanta, etc. People seem to be split on them. I think a Coro is generally regarded as higher on most people's boards, but Vassell is like sort of the plug and play guy. If you had to choose between those guys for Atlanta specifically, which way do you lean between a Coro and Vassell?
1: Yeah, they're so close to me, um, and I think at that point maybe fit can actually be the tiebreaker. And um, I I like Okoro a, a lot. And I think if he goes to a, the right team, he's going to be a big time player. But he reminds me a little bit too much of DeAndre Hunter. And uh, I think there's a little bit of repetition there. At least with uh, Vassell, you get you get somebody to stretch the floor and, and shoot. And, and I think both project similarly as plus defenders. But I think the shooting is, is more needed um, than Okoro's finishing. And, and neither player is super creative. I'd actually give the edge to Okoro in creation. Um, but I think but I think shooting is would be too important um, of a tiebreaker, and, and I'd give it to Vassell. However, uh, if Vassell was their guy, I'd really look to trade down if I was Atlanta.
0: Yeah, actually I was going to ask you that, because Vassell, I mean, you have better intel than I do. It doesn't seem like that he is really prominently seen as in the mix that high. Um, I'm not right. sure if there's anything going on there? Like, I mean, I know there's the, the, the jump shot video that uh, <laughs> ma- made a lot of noise, but, um, is it just this simply that teams are not as high on him as some people, people on the internet are?
1: Yeah, I think that's just pretty much the case. Draft Twitter has like their select few guys that, that they love more than, uh, real NBA guys. And Vassell, um, is, is not top eight on, for most of the teams I've spoken to. I think late lottery seems to be, um, where teams are going with Vassell and um I mean if yeah I think like nine through nine through 12 I mean I actually spoke to his college one of his college coaches the other day and he expects he said the Warriors love Vassell um I doubt they would ever take him at two and and yeah if they don't trade down um at least his college coach, you know, for what that's worth, every college coach thinks their guy is
0: stopping <laughs> Yeah, but, Not exactly. Uh, impartial sources always, but yeah. Right.
1: That's why I'll even call him his college coach and won't pretend like he's just a real source. But 9 through 12 is what he expects for Vassell.
0: Yeah, I think he'd be a very interesting guy if they traded down. I wouldn't mind him at 6, but I, I do think that that's not necessarily a likely outcome. And, you know, them moving the pick wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I'm not sure if you've heard anything about it, but... Clearly the Hawks are in a range where they could kind of go up or down. I, I would not necessarily advocate going up, but there's probably likely to be a rumor there somewhere. And then moving down or moving out is always um, a possibility. Is that a spot where teams might be looking to go up? Like if somebody wants a point guard, for instance, and Killian Hayes is there, maybe they can slide down. Is that something that you could see as a possibility?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've heard from one team, that Atlanta was looking to trade up and I've heard from another team, that Atlanta was looking to trade down. And Sounds I think right. the
0: more of the story is here. Everybody's open to trading
1: up or down. Um, and yeah, I mean, like last year, I think uh, the 11th pick was traded for the sixth pick with that Minnesota and Phoenix. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I would think six is is a spot. I guess it might depend. It, it may have to be a like spur of the moment type of trade where the team who's moving up to six knows that their guy is on the board, and maybe it's something they can agree to before. Like if a team loves Killian Hayes, like Sacramento loves Killian Hayes, uh, they'll say we, we'll do that trade as long as he's going to be there at number six. And so that's the type of deal that seems like it should be on the table.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, really, on all sides. And I, I definitely like trading down more than up in this class, but I think that's a, an opinion that a lot of people share. So yeah, not breaking news for me. Uh, last thing before I let you get out of here. Uh, let's assume, within reason, the Hawks can get any of the guys available that we've talked about. Not not Ball, not Edwards, not Wiseman, but if anybody else falls to them, what's, what's your – perfect scenario, this is Jonathan Washerman, not (laughs) Intel-based, who would you be choosing at six if you could have the pick of the letter here?
1: Danny dear. I mean, I think Danny is... uh, He'd be a best player available candidate. I think he's got a very mature game. um, As a guy who will help right away, I'd imagine Atlanta is eager to start moving up the standings. And I think he kind of fits. I mean, I think he gives you secondary playmaking. I don't know if if anybody watched and win MVP of the U-20 tournament over the summer. He was he averaged five assists, I mean, playing point wing. And uh, so I think he has that to his game, which Atlanta should value. I think he's a better shooter than he gets credit for, and everyone harps on his free throw percentage. But he's a super hard worker. I mean, big-time reputation for just living in the gym and loving the game. And I think he's going to be a fine spot-up shooter. He's tough. He loves working from the post. He's competitive on defense. I just think he's... A very, very well-rounded player. He may not ever make an all-star game, but it's tough to say You know more than one or two guys in this class will. And so at number six, I don't think you're – it's not all-star or bust. You want a contributor. You want a guy who's who you can re-sign and, and someone who's going to be a part of your team for a long time in the short and long term. And I think Danny would be a, uh, a, a nice uh, goal target prospect for Atlanta if he does slip.
0: I have no qualms with any of that. I do have to ask you one quick follow up. You mentioned that he wouldn't be an All-Star. I, I agree. With that that's my only real concern with Denny. I think he's going to be a good player. What do you view his upside as? Like not not 100% outcome upside, but like what's a reasonable high-end like sort of projection for Denny idea in your mind?
1: So, he's not like I don't I don't think he plays like Danilo Gallinari, but that type of value guy who's like a really really good player but is not an All-Star. And um of course, danny has got to get that shot more consistent. But I think he's got the chance to be, you know, in his peak years, like the type of player when we look at the all-star snubs and like the next, you know, 10 or so guys who could have gotten in. I think in his peak, he could be one of those guys. But and maybe one day, you know, maybe there's only those guys who like make an all-star game like for one year of, of their 15 year careers. Denny could be that guy. I mean, I think Gordon Hayward is maybe uh, a ceiling comparison for him. But that type of guy, like a fringe type of all-star, to me, is his ceiling.
0: There you go. You heard it here from Jonathan Wasserman. Thanks for doing this, man. Uh, please plug everything you got going. I know we've already talked about a little bit of what you've been uh, on the internet producing in the last few weeks, months, years. But uh, go ahead and tell people where they can find your stuff.
1: Yeah, I'll have um, I'll have something out pretty much every weekday up until draft night, which is two weeks away, thank God. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, we got a mock draft out today. Tomorrow, I got something on uh, scouts talking about Lamelo. Friday, uh, an article on kind of the buzz I'm hearing, and and um, you know we're gonna go from there.
0: Thank you again. I really really appreciate all the time here. And as for everybody else listening, please subscribe, check out Jonathan's work, and we'll see you next time.